It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. So we got a big show. We have two guests and we're going to unpack the Asian vote. I want to hear from my two guests. I have Senator State, New York State Senator John Liu, who has a newly reconfigured district, but still covers many of the districts that he's represented since 2018, including his hometown of Flushing. Senator, welcome. Thanks for having me, Laura. Absolutely. And I know you have an election coming up in November, but no one seems to know who you're running against. So I think you're pretty safe. So I'm knocking on wood when I say that. My, uh, oh, Go ahead. Well, yeah, I have a Republican opponent. I always do. And we'll see what happens on November 8th. That's right. We but take we so take nothing far, for granted. Yeah, don't take anything for granted. He hasn't filed a campaign committee with the Board of Elections, so I'm not sure that he's doing anything. But, you know, the reality is that you'll still get a substantial part of the November 8th vote. Right. And it'll be an interesting study to see how well he does, because it's looking like it's shaping up to be a tougher year than Democrats than people thought. My second guest is Farah Mazawala. We work together in local government in Nassau County, and she is now executive director of the Asian American Institute for Research and Engagement. Farah, welcome. Thank you for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So I'm just going to open this up with a really big question, a very broad question. So Grace Meng, a congresswoman, said after the November 2nd, 2021 mayoral and city council election, she noted that some assembly districts in Queens went Republican. She said, quote, our party, meaning the Democratic Party, better start giving more of a shit, excuse my language, but that's the quote, about AAPI voters and communities. No other community turned out at a faster pace than AAIPs in 2020. We need a good message and good messengers. I've not seen this with a majority of Dem candidates, even in New York City and New York State. So, John, I want to start with you. You were born in Taiwan. You moved to America at the age of five. You know, you're living the American dream. Is she right? (laughs) I guess in some ways I am living the dream, right? Not living the dream like you are, Laura. (laughs) Look, When my Congress member, Grace Meng, uses any kind of four-letter word, she's serious. Right, because she's a classy lady. She doesn't throw around that kind of language easily. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I think many of us were very upset about the Democratic messaging as well as some of the priorities. The AAPI community is probably the newest voting bloc, but as has been noted, it's the fastest-growing voting population. And there are some key issues that are very, very pronounced within the community. Public safety, for example, we have seen so much anti-Asian hit over the last couple of years. U.S. counter-executive law had led many rallies. Farah had been part of organizing many as well. And people are just upset, and rightfully so, about the attacks against Asian American, uh, against AAPIs, and the lack of any seeming action, clear pronounced action to tackle that. Also, issues with regard to education or public schools, what's happening 
with Asian American kids. That has been, those are really two of the most significant issues that are on the minds of Asian American And when voters. you talk about education, or, you know, I think one specific lightning rod was de Blasio's proposal to get rid of the test for competitive high schools. That really seemed yeah. to mobilize the community. That was a flashpoint in the Asian American development and progress here in New York City, where it was really a rallying cry for APIs to get involved and vote. Yeah, It wasn't just about that issue. It's continuing. It's an ongoing issue where New York City public schools had been moving away from what many in the community consider merit-based admissions as opposed to random lottery. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic, because state exams were not administered and many public schools went to pass-fail standards for at least part of the pandemic, some of the traditional academic achievement-based measures just were not available. And so random processes, lotteries came into being. But as we emerged from the pandemic, Unfortunately, some of those random lottery components remained intact, and that really, Mm. really fired up AAPI parents. Now, Farah, you've become an expert on the Asian community, and I want to say the Asian community is incredibly diverse. You have South Asians, you have Chinese, Korean, Filipino. It's very diverse. Is there a difference are you finding, you know, obviously New York City tends to be a little more democratic, a little more progressive. What are you finding are the biggest issues for suburban Asians? So, Laura, the biggest issues for suburban Asians right now, and again, it's not a monolith like you said, you know, you have the young voters, you have the older voters, you have the different ethnicities and religions, but safety and security is number one. Mm -hmm. Inflation is number two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people upset about the curriculum, just, you know, what is going to be taught in the elementary schools in terms of LGBTQ. Mm. That's becoming an issue. Do they feel that it's going to detract from reading, writing and arithmetic? I think they just, from what I'm seeing in certain, not not all of the Asian communities, but in certain communities, they don't want it discussed at all. Mm. And they're very against it. So that's one of their motivating factors for going to the Republican side. So that's interesting because you talk about inflation, you talk about crime, and you talk about LGBT issues in schools. And those are issues that might end up hurting the Democrats. Now, there was an interesting statistic. In 2016, Hillary Clinton won 65 percent of the Asian vote nationally. Biden won 61 percent. And do you get a sense, John, that the Democratic Party takes the Asian vote for granted? Like, hey, you're a minority. Of course, you're going to vote for us without having to do the work of making the relationships. I wouldn't cast it that far. I think the Democratic Party in general has been far more open to Asian-American organizations, communities and also candidates. Mm -hmm. Uh, has been far, far easier for Asian-American candidates to win here in the New York area as well as across the country as Democrats as opposed to Republicans. Interesting. Clearly, the Republican Party has seen an opening in different parts of the country where the recruitment and enrollment of Asian-Americans has been a concerted effort, which is why Congressmember Meng's comment about the Democratic Party having to get its act together for Asian-Americans rings true. Mm. That Democrats have to understand, one of the things I've talked about is that we have a legacy of racial issues here in this country. Mm -hmm. But 
it is now long past the days where anything can be viewed just through a black and white prism, Mm -hmm. that there needs to be a perspective that's applied to newer communities, other communities that are outside this black and white paradigm. Yeah, that's such a good point. That's such a good point, John, because when you look at a lot of these polls and a lot of these surveys, it's they break people down to white, Hispanic, black and other. And, you know, the term othering is really very apparent right there. This big lump of other when there are very specific concerns and needs from this community. It's not it just can't be lumped into a mishmash. Yeah. And part of that is just momentum. And I characterize it as, I guess, laziness or not not willing to develop new models and new ways to reach voters, particularly Asian-American voters. This is the fastest growing voting community in New York and in many parts of the country. And That's right. have to pay attention. Republicans certainly are. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I noticed I watched the debate between Governor Hochul and Congressman Zeldin. I noticed that Zeldin mentioned the Asian American community twice in the debate. You know, this is another this might be a silly question, but his wife is, if I'm not mistaken, Filipino. She's Asian. Farah, do you think that makes any kind of difference in people's minds when they're going to vote? That sort of personal fact I don't think so. I think maybe for some it would be, but not for the majority. I think it's going to be on the candidates' views, their history of what they believe in. And I think that's going to make a difference. Right now, the Asian American Institute, our institute conducted a poll with Harris X. We commissioned a poll. We had about over a thousand people mm-hmm. answer the poll. And we found that 60% of AAPI adults say that race-based discrimination, hate speech, or hate crimes are concerned to them, and yeah. they faced it. 20% have reported the incident out of the 60. They believe about three out of four people say that discrimination is still a problem. Hmm. And wow. that shows that's that you know safety, security, that's important. And I just want to bring up, you know, in New York State Assembly Race District 16, uh, Gina Saletti's district, there's a man running, Mr. John, who is on the Republican side. He has a Twitter, personal Twitter comments about anti-Asian, anti-Muslim, anti-Christian posts. And he... That's not um, a great plan if you're running for office yeah. to insult three quarters of the population. And he writes that he wants a ban on burqas. He says that Congress has deep roots in Christianity and Islam, and they know the art of dividing and ruling. And probably the comment that made me the most upset on his Twitter feed was he wrote, I haven't come across any non-Muslim who feels good about them, meaning Muslims, and people know their intent. So this is a guy who is running for a state office saying these comments in 2022. Mm. And, you know, I've seen Republican candidates come out and say this is wrong and they're, you know, saying something about it. But I have yet to see a Republican candidate come around and say that. It's so wrong. the Democrats, Democrats are kind of have, yeah, kind of, it, but de- not the Republicans. Because it's not a good look it. for the party if they're trying to be more inclusive. But this leads me to another question. You know, most, I think it's 57% of eligible Asian voters were born overseas, so they're naturalized. So it's a smaller amount, which is interesting to me, of folks who were born in America. Is there, John, do you see, and Farah, this is a question for you as well, what's going on in the home country influencing the politics here or how they feel about politics? You know, we talk about with the Hispanic vote, people coming from Venezuela or coming from Cuba are very concerned about socialism. You know, are we seeing the problems happening overseas being played out here? And how does that affect our politics? I would not think that it's the primary driver here. Okay. The reality is that Asian Americans are not necessarily a new immigrant population anymore. 
Asian Americans have been in this country for, you know, going on 200 years. And Mm -hmm. in the recent several decades, we have now immigrants, Asian American immigrants from the 60s, 70s, 80s. There are now plenty of not only second generation Asian Americans, but third generation. Mm -hmm. So these are the younger people who are voting. And you will see that the average age of AAPI voters continue to decrease because Mm -hmm. the third and even fourth generation Asian Americans are now beginning to participate in the democratic process. Mm -hmm. So the most recent immigrants may be affected by their memories or their experiences back in the home country, but that that rarely translates fully to the second and successive generations. These uh, later generations are certainly much more attuned to what's happening here. Yeah. Tax dollars are going, how the social policy is affecting the community. And they have this prism, this historical perspective of how we got to this point in the first place, being primarily educated here in, in the United States. Right, right. You know, that reminds me of usually a generation gap in every family and every culture. Farah, are you seeing a big generation gap between older Asians and the younger generations? Absolutely. Tell absolutely. Me about that. So I think the younger Asians understand the need for building racial solidarity, um, supporting each other's work and working together with other groups. With the older generations, they live in silos. So you have the Chinese communities, Indian communities, the Pakistani communities, Korean communities, everybody's separate. Mm. But now we're seeing everyone work together and then they're including, you know, we need to look at all communities and we need to work together with the African-American communities and the Hispanic communities, and that we're seeing with the younger generations. And they're actually teaching their parents how to disrupt that single narrative, which is Mm. so important. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have said that better. Farah really encapsulated the generational difference. It's not a difference between older and younger generation. It's more like first generation versus the first generation, meaning the immigrant generation versus their children. You saw that, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement starting a couple of years ago where there were Mm. many, many Asian Americans out there protesting Mm -hmm. with the BLM protesters, primarily young people. And the older generation not necessarily understanding. You see more of the older generation concerned about what seems like, based on the highly publicized videos, African Americans attacking Asians, which, you know, if you look at the data truly underlying data that is not the trend but unfortunately the media plays these videos that concerns the older generation the immigrant generation i should say uh, more so i mean you make a very interesting point because the media does amplify things and the truth is often more nuanced than is led on but the fear is real and you you know perception does become reality in people's minds that's right. The perception and reality is that people are far less safe yeah. and that there is crime that is much higher in New York. It is much higher in the entire country, but that does not help or explain to people and make people feel safer here in New York. So there are lots of things that we as Democrats need to take on. And I think this, you know, this goes back to my thought before that things cannot be viewed only in a black and white prism. Equity and fairness, most of the equity and fairness that's being discussed now doesn't really include the AAPI community. So, John, I want you to play pundit with me for one second. In New York City, specifically in the neighborhood in Brooklyn of Central Sunset Park, which is 70 percent Asian, Curtis Sliwa in this 
neighborhood got 46% of the vote compared to the 29% of the vote he got for mayor last year citywide. So 46 in this mostly Asian community versus 29% citywide. What is that? And is that a bellwether for how things might happen in this upcoming election, in the gubernatorial and other statewide elections? No, I don't see it as a strong bellwether, if at all. Okay. That area of Brooklyn tends to trend more Republican than the rest of the city. So Mm -hmm. right there, you have a disparity, a difference in the numbers. The Asian American population in that area of Brooklyn is also uh, more immigrant. And even if you have something like 70% of the population there, that is not 70% of the vote. So I don't see a strong correlation between the immigrant population there and the overall vote that trended more Republican than the rest of the city. Okay, that's interesting. Farah, I want to go back to that race. So there's a specific race for assembly in your community is that in your is that no that's no, that's, that's, that's more of western nassau county yes, for the assemblies like gina solidi is the incumbent she's the democrat so this news is coming out do you think this is something that would move the needle that would motivate people to come out i'm hoping i'm hoping that it will you know because sometimes it's these little issues that can just change the dynamic well it is spreading like wildfire and and how is it getting communicated because i haven't seen it in the press no it's not in the press but through the different i guess muslim networks or south asian networks like whatsapp i keep on seeing posts about it people are mobilizing i know there's a debate going on tomorrow and people will be attending that debate to express their concerns i think they're you know writing letters to their elected officials they're thinking of doing a press conference so they are mobilizing which is you know when they're galvanized that's better for mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. everyone to be more civically engaged. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be unpacking the Muslim vote after the election to see which way it went. So just to preview that a little bit, the Muslim community, I feel, and I would love to get your perspective on this in the city, John, in Nassau County, it feels like it's really up for grabs. It's growing, it's finding its political voice, but it could really go either way. What are you noticing about that in the city, John? I think in the city, it's still predominantly, by far, democratic. Mm -hmm. We have the Bangladeshi community. We have the Middle Eastern community. We have a West African community. They are Muslim, and they vote democratically heavily. Does that mean that there are no Republicans? Of course not. There are are some Republicans, maybe maybe even a growing number, but far, far uh, outweighed by the Democrat the Democratic vote within the Muslim community. Mm. You know, an interesting little factoid is Asian American eligible voters are more likely than overall eligible voters to have a bachelor's degree. This is a community that really takes education very, very seriously. And it's kind of, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it, it also, you know, the data bears that out. Farah, you were talking about certain social issues that might be of concern to the Asian community. How about other social issues like abortion and marijuana and, you know, more kind of progressive things, but that a lot of common sense people of that are Republicans can also agree with? So on Long Island, the Asian community, I think abortion is like number four or five on their list of yeah, important issues. I think it's number five. And, but I remember when marijuana was becoming legalized, there was a lot of protests from the Asian communities. They were not I remember uh, for that. it. They were very against it from the yeah. beginning. And they still are. So that was something that they 
completely, you know, unless you were the younger progressive group of Asians, the older ones, uh, you know, anybody over 30, I, I saw it almost almost everyone was against it. Mm. So that I think will come into play. And I think right now, I think, you know, John was saying that the the people keep on forgetting about the Asian communities and they're just they're just marginalized. And I think it's because of the model minority myth. Oh. That we're, Tell, we, what is that? What is the model so minority myth? That the Asian community is this well-off community, that they're educated, that they're smart, that they don't need assistance. Mm. And when you say that, then you're taking away from the resources of that community. Like we and, don't have to worry about them. Yeah, we don't have to worry about them. They got it figured out. They're okay. We, we don't need to focus on them. And then when you just sweep their concerns under the rug, then these communities face these disparities and they have no resources available to them. And that's a big problem hmm. because there's so many different groups of Asian Americans and there's so many groups that need assistance and they're not getting that assistance because of this myth. Well, I remember during the pandemic, the community that the largest percentage of jobs were lost by a mile and at, by you know, 10 miles was the Asian community. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about people who worked in restaurants, hospitality, beauty, all of those professions were completely shut down. So they got the worst of it in terms of a large community. Did when you? We, we were doing the food drives uh, yeah. at the county. A lot of the people who were coming were Asian Americans, which mm -hmm. was the first time that that was happening for us. So. so that kind of dispels the myth of the model minority. What do you think about that idea of model minority, John? And does that maybe keep some... Asians from feeling like want just want to keep their head down and not make waves, not draw attention to themselves? Well, yes. I, I mean, Farah's absolutely right. That model minority myth deprives the AAPI community of badly needed resources and we get sidelined. And even worse, it drives a wedge between the AAPI community and other communities of color because it mm. sends a message well, why can't you all be like APIs? I mean, this it's just really a, a very heinous yeah. to describe the Asian American community. It's and, a way to it's a way to criticize everybody. That, yeah. I mean I look part of the harm is that it sounds so good that it even uh, captivates some Asian Americans into thinking that, oh, you know what, we're doing well. We don't need homeless shelters in this community. We don't need feeding programs in this community. I mean it's just uh, it's just it's very destructive all around. You know, and if you look at Go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, and then I'll let you go on. When I was campaigning in 2017, Asians would actually say to me, they sort of embrace this, like, well, you don't have to worry about us. We don't take up the social services. And I thought, oh, what a, what a strange thing to say. But anyway, go yeah, on. I'm, you know, part of it is that the, the wealth gap in the AAPI community is particularly pronounced. You have some really, mm. really well-off Asian Americans. And a lot and of them are the, on Long the, Island. Yeah our service workers, as you pointed out before, who lost jobs in mass and were on the front line. So, you know, the API community needs representation. And I think many people are starting to see the need to get out there to vote. Now, John, on many of these if I'm not mistaken, you and Kevin Thomas are the first Asian state legislators. Am I correct in that? Not the first Asian state legislators, but in the Senate. So, yeah. Kevin, okay. Kevin first senators. Thomas, uh, yeah. API uh, members of the New York State Senate. Uh, we were elected in 18, started serving in 2019. And then Jeremy Cooney was elected in 2020 as the third API state senator. He's a Democrat from Rochester. So South Asian. are you working to get more Asians to run for office? Because when people see people who look like them running things, it's just better for the community. I think it's better for democracy also. What is the best way to motivate that, people to run? That's what's happening. There, it is. 
already happening. There are so many more API candidates running for office at all levels of government. That's a great thing. It, it is also expected because we are part of, we are on this learning curve that every community goes through in terms of voting and civic participation. And of course, we're focused on securing resources for the community, particularly in, in light of all this anti-Asian hate, securing historic levels of state funding for AAPI organizations all throughout the state. Yeah, Farah, anything you want to add about that? I know you worked for the first, I believe, the first Asian person to serve in the town of Hempstead. Yeah. You know, you've been and you've been working, you've worked on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. What do you think is the best way to get people motivated to to run? And would you ever consider doing it yourself? Me? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be in the background. Don't say that, Farrah. <laughs> you never know. Life is long and strange. No, that, that's not even a possibility. All right. So, but... Draft yeah, let's start that now. We'll get no. the petition out. <laughs> so I see it happening that, you know, 10 years ago, no one was interested in running or even voting. And now slowly as, you know, people are getting more civically engaged, more people are wanting to run, they want to make a change, they see that they can do something. So I do I see it going in a positive light, positive momentum. I do think that both parties need to acknowledge our communities and cater to them and, you know, help us change that narrative and move that needle. That's extremely important. John, what are your predictions for the upcoming, I mean, besides your own election, which I think, again, I'm knocking on wood. I think you got it. What are you seeing citywide and what, uh, excuse me, statewide for November 8th? And what do you think will happen with the state Senate? Well, I think a lot happens. A lot depends on the top of the ticket, the governor's race. I think Kathy Hochul is a tremendous candidate that has a record to run on. I see a lot of rhetoric coming from her opponent. Uh, I don't want to get too partisan here, but I think the governor will keep her position. And I certainly hope that that happens. And and that will also help the state Senate campaigns all throughout the state and, and also assembly candidates. Yeah, it's such an interesting climate right now because I personally, in such a heavily Democratic state with two to one registration, surprised that it's even a question. So, you know, I'm talking to I talk to people in the post office, in the gym, when I'm going to the bank. You know, if everyone wants to talk about this because it, they, they kind of can't believe that this is our reality right now, both Democrats and Republicans. It's very interesting. Well, it's not. I wouldn't call it a reality based on a couple of polls. Mm. Uh, Many of these polls have been shown to be far off the mark. You don't have to go back a couple of years (laughs) to see how far off the mark they can be. I think in the end, uh, voters will will decide. And I think uh, (laughs) people are going to be reasonable about what what to do. The only poll that matters is on November 8th. And if you don't show up and you don't let your voice be heard, then, you know, you get the government you deserve. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, Senator John Liu, I want to thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today on Cut to the Chase. Farah, thank you so much. And to my dear listeners, thank you so much for spending a half an hour with us. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guests. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.